we are back. This is not a one-off. We, we intend to keep moving forward with the Wednesday men's lunches, and uh, we have a number of uh, really interesting speakers uh, that will be coming up. So I'd encourage you uh, not only to come, but think of friends that might benefit from coming to a gathering like this. So let me switch gears and uh, introduce our speaker for today. Uh, Justin Hare is one of the clergy here at St. Philip's. I've had the privilege of being Justin's friend for a long time. Uh, Justin is a graduate of Porter Gowd School. Uh, he went to Duke University and was part of the golf team there. Uh, he is still uh, a, an amazing golfer. Uh, but in that time, he felt a call to ordained ministry and went to Westminster Seminary in Pennsylvania, which is a very fine, academically strong seminary, graduated, pursued ordination in the Anglican Church. I had the honor of being one of his presenters for ordination, and then he helped pioneer um, the CCO um, and Anglican campus ministry at Clemson before uh, joining the staff here at St. Philip's. Justin's best decision ever was to marry his wife, Molly, uh, who is delightful, and they have two children, um, Grace Anna and Law, and one who is eminently on the way. So uh, please join me in welcoming Justin to share with us today. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. It's been a long time since I've been to one of these. I used to come uh, about a decade ago, I guess was the last time, with my father. And it's really great to see so many familiar faces, uh, friends, mentors, people I've looked up to here in this room. Uh, you'll have to forgive me as, uh, as a preacher. I have this nasty little habit of preaching even out of the pulpit sometimes. So I know that you did not come here to hear a sermon, and I'm not going to give one. Uh, but I am going to reference uh, scripture a few times throughout this talk. I've entitled my talk, uh, From the Duke Golf Team to the Priesthood, A Circuitous Story of God's Grace. And that really is, uh, is this on? Can you hear me with this? Is that good? All right, I'm going to move that out the way. Uh, I'll sh- that, that's really, there's one thing marked by my life. It's, it's God's grace in that. So if you walk away with one thing, I, I want you to come away with a deeper understanding of his grace. So I know that you didn't come to hear a sermon. If you came, you probably uh, came because you wanted to hear some golf stories, and I'm certainly going to share some of those. Um, But there are three stories that came to my mind from the Bible as I I thought back over my own story uh, in my life. And they, they all kind of, if if you were to break up my life into, say, like a play, and into three acts... These three stories kind of fit uh, each act, and so I'll, I'll reference them just by way of an outline so you know where I'm going. And so as Brian said, it's, um, I'm really thrilled to be here and to have the opportunity uh, to speak. I, I did grow up here in Charleston. I went to Mason Prep and, as he said, Porter Gowd for high school. I attended St. Michael's Church growing up. Uh, many of you probably know my grandparents, Connie and J.C. Hare. They were instrumental in my life, and my uh, Aunt uh, Danelle, I found out. Many people know my Aunt Danelle here at St. Phillips. Uh, my Uncle Jimmy and my dad, Canty, uh, they've all been huge influences on my life. 
And church was always something that was really important. Uh, I knew from a young age. I mean, we went to church all the time, uh, and I was part of the the youth group and children's choir and was baptized and confirmed and and all that. Uh, But I I wonder, let me ask you, if you've ever uh, had an experience where you walked away uh, with a perception of something that maybe wasn't actually reality, like what actually happened was not what you took away from it, well, this is what I took away from church when I was young. There were a couple uh, early memories that I had that really stood out. One was I remember going to Sunday school, and I walked out of the bathroom with my shirt tail untucked, and I was reprimanded by somebody who was nice saying, you've got to look your best for God. And I was like, man, that's a lot. Okay, uh, I didn't really like that. but uh, you know. And, and then another one, I can't remember who said it, but it was, we, you know, we need to go to church because if we don't show up for God, why should he ever show up for us? So these were the things that really uh, just stuck with me. I don't even remember who said these things, but that's what I walked away uh, from in my early experiences in church. And so as you can imagine, I hated church. I did not like it at all. And so I, and I would do this little game sometimes, and uh, it's ironic now that I'm a preacher, but uh, I, I would set my timer on my watch to see how accurately I could get to the, the moment where we would finish church. And it was just literally watching the timer go down and down. I, I just I dreaded my time in church. And that was really because there was one thing that I really loved, and that was this game of golf. I was thinking about it all the time. It's been a huge part of my life ever since, I think it was about two or three, when I first started dragging around a little club. And I, I wouldn't read much, but the things that I did read, I read golf books. Um, I was trying to get outside and do golf whenever I could. Um, I remember playing with my dad, and that was a, if you ask him, it was funny. I'd never listened to really anything he had to say about, about golf. And uh, a lot of my earliest memories playing golf were with my grandfather at the Country Club of Charleston. I, was, I started out just carrying his bag around with his buddies who they had their little game. And eventually I got old enough to where they invited me into it. And one of my best uh, rounds of golf I've ever played, actually, were with his little group. And it was funny because we, oh man, <laughs> we were playing. And they, were, they couldn't really hear or see much by this point. And I was just playing the, one of the best rounds of my life. And I would be over, over the ball, and before I, I was in the middle of my swing, they were like, get in the hole, you know, is what they would say. I'm like, all right, um, and I still played the best round, one of the best rounds of my life doing that. It was a fond memory that I've had. So golf was one of the things I just really loved doing. Uh, but about fourth or fifth grade, something interesting happened in relation to golf. I had done some sports camps and taken lessons and that sort of thing, and I found out playing with other people my age, I was actually pretty good at it, and I realized that I could get some attention from it, and that really changed the game of golf. From then, from then on, I was going to excel in the game of golf. I was going to give it all that I had. Uh, so I maintained, you know, friendships, family, relationships, that sort of thing, my, my grades, just so that I could give all my attention to playing this game of golf. And, uh, you know, I... I a heart that's set out on doing something great can do pretty incredible things. I, I practiced basically every day for, a long, for many years, and uh, rain or shine. I was even all 110 pounds of me. I'd, I'd work out even for golf, which really doesn't do much, I don't think, but that's what I was going to do. I was practicing and doing every little thing I could because I wanted to play professional golf. Somebody said, 
You could actually, I think I was probably seven when I realized people do this for a living. If you just get good enough, you could do that. And I was like, that sounds great. I'm going to do that. Um, and so that's what I tried to do. I set out to try and do some of that. And, and honestly, uh, the hard work paid off when it came to golf. I, I won in high school the uh, Porter Gowd State Championship for my four years in college and started having college offers to go play. Um, I had good grades. I had a girlfriend. This is every 16-year-old's dream. Everything was going great, you know. And um, uh, on the outside, it looked like everything was going great. But um, internally, you know, there was a lot going on. And, and at this time, my relationship with God, I really didn't feel any need for God in my life. And if you were to ask me, if I, if I was honest looking back, I was like, well, why, you know, I, I knew God loved me. That was one of the things I was always taught, you know, God loves you. I'm like, well, why wouldn't he love me? I'm, I'm pretty good, <laughs> you know? And, you know, that's kind of what I thought. Um, and it took me many years to realize that that kind of disposition in our heart is actually the one thing that God despises. Um, I, looking at the Bible, realized that that's the kind of heart that is lost. So my first story in the Bible that resonates with this part of my life was Luke 15. Luke 15 is all about lost uh, things. You've got a lost sheep, you've got a lost coin, and then you've got a lost son. Maybe you've heard of the parable of the prodigal son. I always thought the lost son was the one who was the younger one, who wanted to go away and uh, basically get his father's possessions, and he squanders it all on reckless living. Uh, Then he comes back. But, you know, if you look closely at that story... Uh, Jesus is talking to religious people. He's talking to the Pharisees. And the punchline of the story is the end where the, the irreligious son, the bad one, is welcomed in and celebrating with the family and the community. It's the older son who's left out. And he was the one who had done all the right things. He, he had done everything that he thought he was supposed to do. And that was uh, you know, a hard pill for the older brother to swallow was... Uh, that he wasn't invited in, or that he was invited in, but he refused to because of all, he thought he was entitled to all the things that his father had. And it's, it's ironic that both brothers, what they really wanted was the possessions of the father. And so um, I think for me, it was not my bad deeds that were separating me from God. It was actually the pride in my good deeds that was keeping me from God. Um, and, you know, e- each of us are hardwired to go in our own direction, we want to do uh, our, we want to go our own way. I, I'll remember Alec, Bishop Alec Dixon over at St. Michael's when I worked there. He was from Alligator, Mississippi, and he said this thing about sin. He said, sin is I want what I want. And that's, that can come out in two ways. It can come out like the younger brother who, who just does all the you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but it also can come out in this older brother sort of way where the older brother, uh, he feels entitled to all the father's stuff. And I think it's easier in many ways for people who resonate with the younger brother to realize that they have a need for God. It's much harder for folks like me uh, and who relate to the older brother in the story to realize it, that we have a need for God and his grace. Uh, so uh, we, we typically don't see that need for God until things start to go haywire. And that's kind of the second part of my story is uh, this started happening about my junior year of high school. As I said, things were, on the, on the surface, going well, but they started to crumble kind of internally. 
golf was no more, it wasn't fun anymore. It became work. It was something I had to do. I was driven to get to a certain place. Um, my education was really just a means to an end to get that next step up the ladder. Uh, my girlfriend was pretty much just the object for my own uh, self-pleasure. And I remember someone telling me that sin takes us places where we never intended to go, and it leaves us there longer than we ever wanted to stay. And that was really true for my life. Um, and so uh, by about, uh, basically that relationship with, with the girlfriend ended going into my uh, summer before my senior year, and that was a, a rock-bottom moment for me. Um, that was a blur of a summer, and it was at that point that there's a, another story in the Bible that really resonates kind of with where I was at that moment. And if um, you remember the story of, of Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis 32, Jacob was, uh, his whole life was one of deception. He was a, his, his name literally means uh, he cheats. He was a deceiver. He stole his brother's birthright, uh, and he was deceiving everybody. And uh, his sins come to find him, as Jeff says. Uh, and so his brother's on the way to find him, and he runs away. And he's out in the wilderness, and he is uh, by himself all alone at night. And this mysterious figure shows up, and they wrestle all night long. And he realizes it's pretty evenly matched throughout the evening, but then this mysterious man does something where he touches just the, the socket of the hip and he dislocates it. And so Jacob's going, who is this person? And from that point on, he, he, he walked with a limp and he found out it, it was God that he was wrestling with. And Jacob learned two things. He learned who God was and who he was through that encounter. For the first time, he began to see himself and God rightly. Uh, and that was the same instance. That, that's what happened to me in my life. Uh, going into my senior year of high school, I realized finally my need for grace, that I was going my own way, and it, things didn't turn out so well. I wasn't actually that great at leading my own life. And so my hip was out of place, and I began to realize there's got to be a better way. And so I started following. Uh, I didn't know what that exactly meant, but I was like, I know I've got to follow God, whatever that, whatever that means. Uh, and so the summer of 2004, that was uh, a time where I started to see God differently. God was no longer kind of this grandfather up in the sky who would just dote on you, but he was the creator of heaven and earth. He was God Almighty, who I was living in rebellion against. I was doing my own thing. And I deserve judgment from that. That was a different way that I never... I realize now why I needed grace, I guess. And so um, I began to see that I was far worse than I imagined, but at that same time, God's love was far greater and more persistent than I ever had hoped for. And uh, I love Martin Luther because Luther's experience was similar to that. He was born and raised with this idea that uh, do what's in you, and God's going to give you grace. And so he was really meticulous. He always strived to do you know, the best things that he could, and he got to the end of his rope, and he's like, how do I know if I've ever done enough? And he began to see that the only condition for grace is not looking inward, but looking outward, despairing in yourself and throwing yourself on the grace of God. And that was kind of similar to, to my experience. You know, it's only when we despair in ourselves, when we come to God spiritually bankrupt with, with empty hands, that's when he comes to meet us. With grace, And so my life began to change at that moment, but uh, 
there were still some old habits that, that didn't quite go away. So I went to college kind of a new person. Uh, golf was now a platform that I was going to try and share Jesus with people. And, but I still look to it. You know, when you've looked to something your whole life for your hope and your identity, it takes a long time for that to kind of go away. And so when I played well, I was on cloud nine. But when I struggled, I was pretty depressed. And that was still, uh, I was just talking to Thomas. You know, the, the, um, my time in college was marked by a lot of trials. I was good in high school, but I, I wasn't nearly as good as some of these other people. And I kind of got away from my game and um, ended up, not playing nearly as well, and something strange happened. My, my, um, well, before I get to that, I'll say that one of the things that I really loved the most was getting together with other Christians. I, I would meet with some mentors who were ministers, and we'd play golf, and they were kind enough to answer all my questions that I had about this new life that I was trying to live. And uh, I joined a campus ministry. One was called College Golf Fellowship, which. I, it was one of the coolest things ever because what they would do is professional golfers who were all, you know, the people we were aspiring to be, they would open up their homes and as a college golfer, anyone, it was totally free. You could go to their home for a weekend. You'd play golf with them. And I, would, uh, I went down to Davis Love's house in Sea Island and got to stay in his house with 50 other college golfers. And uh, they'd fly in this uh, Christian speaker to come and talk about Jesus in the evenings, but we'd play golf and do all sorts of stuff during the day. And I just thought that was really cool. But one of the things that stood out to me was hearing these guys who really, I mean, you look at all these college athletes and what they wanted to do was, was get to where these people were, to win the PGA Championship, to, to win, to be on Ryder Cup teams and that sort of thing. And, and you looked at their faces and they said, you know, I got that. And it, it just isn't what it's all chalked up to be. And I, I'd known something about that in my own life, my own successes, what it's like to have that, to get it just enough of it, but then you always need more of it. It kind of just went away. And so uh, that was really powerful for me to, to learn from folks like that. And um, by, by my junior year, uh, or really going into my senior year, I, I didn't play golf my senior year of college. And that was a long story. I won't, I'm happy to talk about it, but... Uh, something began to change where I no longer had the desire to play golf professionally, which left me in a bind because I had no idea what I was going to do with the rest of my life because that's all I wanted to do since I was like six or seven. And so I graduated school and really didn't know what to do. And I thought back, you know, what were the things that I really enjoyed doing? Well, in the summers, I would do these Christian sports camps where I'd I'd use golf as a platform to talk about Jesus with with people and teach them the game and that sort of thing. I really, really loved it. And, you know, during college, I'd go speak at, you know, some middle schools, high schools, and they wanted to hear me just because I played golf. And, uh, but I'd just try to talk about Jesus and who he was and what he, what he can do for your life. And so I looked at my parents when I graduated, and uh, I said, I think I'm going to do an internship in youth ministry, which was about the last thing they thought I would do when I graduated Duke. <laughs> and... Uh, to their credit, thank you, Mom and Dad, they actually encouraged me to go and, and explore that. And I didn't know what this would mean. I didn't know if you could actually live and do youth ministry, but I knew that I wanted to give it a shot. Well, as fate would have it, a spot opened up at St. Michael's Church right when that year internship ended. And I, uh, they, they were, I was shocked that they actually gave me the job. I, I felt like in that year, you know, I'd been paired up with a youth minister and I really loved this, but I didn't really know what I was doing. 
And I felt like I just learned how to ride a bike with training wheels, and they took the training wheels off and said, here you go. And so the people at St. Michael's were very gracious to me. I was a hot-headed 22-year-old, I think, and they were very patient with me, and I appreciate that. Uh, and I, but I learned that this was my sweet spot. You know, uh, there's a Psalm 37 that talks about delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And these desires in my heart to play golf, those went away, but I trusted myself to God, and all of a sudden I had new desires, and this was my sweet spot. I was like, all right, this is, I, I can do this. And after some time at St. Michael's, I knew I needed to, to get some training to do this uh, a little bit better and for the long haul, and so I went off to seminary, and that was a point where God surprised me by bringing golf back into my life. I was in seminary up in Philadelphia, and I caddied. Caddying is a big thing up in the Northeast, I learned, and I got to caddy at this golf course. It's the number one golf course in the world called Pine Valley, and I met some of the greatest people there, uh, and it was actually great because I was learning all this theology in the classroom, but I got to exercise and be with kind of these great salt-of-the-earth people who are the caddies, and so, you know, being a being in ministry or training to be in ministry and working in a Caddyshack. If you've seen the movie Caddyshack, it's just like that. <laughs> and it was great. It was great. It kept, you know, all my other classmates, they didn't know how to have a real conversation with people. But, I, you know, I was talking with real folks, and it was great. And one of the great experiences I had, you know, they had, um, they'd bring in a Christian speaker, and there'd be a group of folks who'd go play golf for the weekend. And all the caddies couldn't stand this uh, Christian group because they were the worst tippers and they were the meanest people. <laughs> and uh, so I was the, in seminary and I realized they brought in this really renowned speaker, uh, preacher named Alistair Begg that really had been an impact on my life. And so I was the only one begging to get into this group and to caddy for Alistair Begg for the weekend. They're like, take them. We don't want any of this. So um, I picked his brain for a weekend and, and just was really blessed that God has used golf in some ways that you know, I, I wanted to have it be a platform, and lo and behold, it was a different kind of platform than I thought. Uh, I was able to keep going uh, with some, many of the relationships I built through caddying there and found some mentors in the faith. They taught me leadership. They taught me ministry, and it was, it was a wonderful opportunity for me. And when I graduated, I, like I said, the sweet spot in my life was sharing who God really is and having it connect with people's hearts, and I got to do that in a strate- what I think is the most strategic mission field today, which is on American college campuses. I went from Philadelphia down to uh, Clemson, South Carolina. And it was funny because my wife said, you can do anything but plan a church because that involves raising money. And so I was like, okay, how about campus ministry? <laughs> well, you have to raise your salary for that. And she was like, this would not be good. And I was like, I know it's not going to be good because I can't do it, but let's just, say, let's just give it a shot. Like, if, if God's really calling me to this, then it'll happen. Dadgum, if he actually didn't provide. I was one of those people who was always skeptical about, like, I got $100 in the mail at this time that I really needed it. And stuff like that actually happened. And so God was providing for uh, what I thought was where he was calling me to go, which was on a college campus to share uh, the good news of Jesus in a place where less than 2% of American college campuses uh, are filled with people who are following the Lord. Underground China is 4%. American college campuses are 2%. So I, um, this last passage is uh, from the book of Romans, and Paul talks about uh, his ambition. He says, 
For I will venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. And so my ambition to try and become a great golfer was reformed into an ambition to try and make God uh, great for people, that they can see him for who he was. And I wanted to tell people about that. And, and being on a college campus, that was my uh, surprising, I guess, place where I'd, I'd never set out to do that. Uh, but it has become the story of my life. And uh, I'll, I'll end with this. There is a uh, a great hymn that I resonate with a lot, written by a man named William Cooper, and uh, it's called, a, There's a Fountain Filled with Blood. And it starts off like this. It says, There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. That had become true for me in a, in a way that I never anticipated, and I wanted to make that true for other people too. And then the... the Hymn continues like this. It says, Ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. That is my hope for my life. That is the ambition for my life. And whether you're in vocational ministry or not, I hope it's yours. It can be yours. It's the only satisfying ambition that you can have. Um, And it's... It's taught me, as I said, this story of grace in my life. Uh, I've become a big believer that it's not being told what to do or shamed or guilted into doing something that changes people's hearts. It's being extended something that you knew you didn't deserve that will change your life. And so I, I hope that will be true for you today. Thank you for this time. I appreciate it.